Thank you for joining us here at Second Baptist Church. Today you will be hearing one of our members teach from the Explore the Bible curriculum. The Explore the Bible curriculum is provided by Lifeway and is a curriculum that we use in our Sunday school and Bible study groups at the church. If you are able, we would love to have you join us in one of our groups. Our church meets at 301 Tomberlin Road, and more information can be found at secondbaptistwaycross.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist. I'm glad you could be with me this morning. We're continuing our study in the book of Luke, and we are studying some of the things that Jesus said not very long before uh, the crucifixion and resurrection. And so, to cover the, the section that they are covering this week, you would probably read Luke chapter 20 and uh, 21, and then next week is going to have um, things from chapter 22. And so I want to talk just for a moment about chapter 21 because we're our, the story that we're going to study today comes from chapter 20, and then they sort of skip chapter 21. So I just wanted to mention a couple of things out of chapter 21, and as you as you read ahead and read through the, that chapter, then you'll see those things. One of them um, is just a favorite um, little story of mine. Um, when Jesus was in the temple, and right at the beginning of chapter 21, I'm going to read the first four verses. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And I've always really liked that little um, excerpt because it it really, I guess it hit home to me when I lived in Nigeria because there were times when I felt so tired and just exhausted. I felt like I had given everything I could give and then more and I, I just didn't feel like I could, you know, do more. I needed a break, you know, and there was no break. And this verse became very meaningful to me during that time because I I realized that I was I was giving to Jesus out of a poverty of spirit at times. Even though um, you know, it's not it's not money, but, but it's the same sort of thing, or at least it meant that to me. And, you know, the idea that even if you find yourself in a situation of being in a poverty of spirit where you just, you're just worn out, you know, everything has gotten to you or whatever, you know, if you will continue to give what you can uh, to Jesus, then he recognizes that 
I guess, more than someone who's giving out of their surplus, you know, where they just have plenty of, of time or money and they're just, you know, okay, I'll give some to, to Jesus because I've got plenty. You know, and, and so anyway, that's just a meaningful verse to me. I wanted to point that one out. And then um, following that, Jesus begins to talk about things to come. And I, I just, um, you know, am reminded once again that Jesus knew all the things to come, just as he had known all the things that had passed. You know, he, he knew these things to come, and he spoke about them, uh, and particularly in from ver starting from verse 10 of chapter 21 and going on down, and then he talks about the return of Christ. Um, I mean, you know, so all of that was already set in place, he, how it would happen, and he could see it, and he knew, and he was speaking about it to them. So, and this was before the crucifixion and the resurrection. So, I know that at the time they heard it, they may not have, you know, quite understood what he was saying. But then, thankfully, they wrote it down and later had these words preserved for us in this generation to be able to read them. So, anyway, those were just the two things I wanted to touch on. Let's go back now to chapter 20 and um, we're going to talk about just a specific parable today and this parable was one that Jesus um, gave so it was right after he um, drove the traders from the temple and kind of in that week that preceded um, his crucifixion and resurrection and so you know, the Pharisees and those church leaders were, I shouldn't say church leaders, we'll call them religious leaders. Um, they were really on his case now. They were watching every word he said and, uh, you know, picking at anything they could. And there are a lot of instances as you read through here where they said, oh, we'll trap him with this you know, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that, and other things. You know, they were constantly trying to see if they could catch him saying something that they could then capitalize on. And, of course, they couldn't. And so, when he said this parable, I think it was really directed towards them. Um, and we'll see as we go along. So, let's look in chapter 20. Of Luke now and we're going to start by reading verse 9 and he began to tell the people this parable a man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time now in this parable um you know God is represents the um the man who owned the vineyard, you might say. And then the vine growers, or those who were supposed to take care of the vineyard, uh, would have been the nation of Israel. And this is kind of speaking of the way that things had been up to now, where God, um, he, you know, he gave the nation, I guess, to Israel and then expected them to 
take care and to do the things that he wanted them to be doing. Um, and then it says he went away for a long time. And we know that God, you know, it's it's a parable. It's not an absolute, uh, you know, correlation, I guess you might say, because God did not go away from the nation of Israel. There's not any place in the Bible where we say, oh, well, God was gone during that time. He was always interacting with them, always having prophets and those who would speak uh, or lead them and, and things like that. You know, he spoke with the leaders and, and those kind of things. So God didn't just go away. And of course, he's not gone away now either. And so it's something for us to always keep in mind. Okay, let's go then to um, the next, which is verses 10 to 12. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed and he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. So, you know, the vine grower, I mean the, uh, I'm sorry, the land owner has gone away now. And, and now he's sent um, these two slaves to collect um, some of the produce from the farm. And we might look at those two uh, slaves as the prophets that he sent, maybe, who were treated badly, you know, at times in the past uh, when, when the prophets were sent and the nation of Israel either rejected them or rejected their message you know, and and then they suffered the consequences of those rejections um, because of that. And so, in this case, they they beat the slave, and then he sent another one, and they beat him also, and treated him shamefully. And you know, so um, they did not respect the landowner by their disrespect of the slaves who belonged to him. And, you know, that is, um, we can certainly draw an analogy from that with people even today, because I think of it often, if they, if they reject me or they reject you because we represent the church, you know, especially for pastors or missionaries or those who are in leadership in the church, let's say a deacon or um, Sunday school teacher or whatever, if they, if a person rejects you, it's not so much that they are rejecting you as they are rejecting the one who sent you. And so that's the same analogy that, that happened here. It wasn't so much that they hated the particular slaves but they hated the, the one who had sent them. And so if we can always keep that in perspective, it does kind of help in trying to share with people um, the gospel because it's not you that they're rejecting. And so what happens next then? Let's go to verses 
13 to 16. The beginning of 16 is what they say. Oh, you know what? I didn't read the, um, I'm sorry, I didn't read far enough the last time. Let me read 12. I'm going to start from 12 and go down to 16. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. So he, there were three. They sent the first two, they beat them up, sent them away, and then a third one, same thing happened. So, I mean, with intention and repeatedly now, they've rejected um, what the landowner wanted. The owner of the vineyard, this is in 13 now I'm picking up, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. So Jesus concludes the telling of this part of it by saying um, that the, the owner, the landlord, sent his beloved son. And beloved, you know, kind of gives the idea of that he just had one son because you wouldn't have three sons but this is the beloved son i mean you know you just <laughs> that would not be <laughs> right to do and so basically he had the one son and he sent him and the the vine growers saw him and they conspired together so really now you can see as he's speaking this to the pharisees and the sadducees and those who are plotting now to see how can they trap Jesus? How can they kill Jesus? You know, they they don't have to be rocket scientists to figure out he's talking about them in this point, you know, and saying uh, they conspired together. And, and you know, he's also letting them know that, hey, I know you're conspiring together. I know that you're plotting. And then, of course, he predicts the future or tells what is going to happen in the future because, you know, they are going to kill him. And so, the, the vine growers, I mean, the vine growers take hold of the beloved son and kill him. And they say to themselves, you know, if we kill the beloved son, then uh, the inheritance will be ours. So, they were really taking a step there, weren't they? They were saying that we're going to kill this son and then... Basically, we're going to own this property in the future because of that. I mean, they had a very twisted way of thinking, didn't they? Because the, the landowner is still the owner of the property. Even if they've killed the son, he can sell it to another. He could uh, allow another to inherit it, his uncle, his uncle's son, or, you know, someone else. So they were really taking a step now and saying, oh, if we do this, then we, you know, we're going to inherit the whole thing. But that twisted thinking was also what was happening with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, wasn't it? Because they, you know, 
even though every sign was obvious that Jesus was the Messiah. There were so many prophecies, so many miracles, so many things that had happened. There was no way that they could continue to reject him and continue to say, oh, you know, he's not, he's not the Messiah. The only way they could have done that is to deliberately make a decision like this where they knew he was the son and yet they decided to kill him anyway. And so it's a very, you know, clearly that he's talking about them and they knew it too. And then he asked at the end of that a rhetorical question, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? So he's not, he's not asking them to answer him. He goes right on then and answers it by saying he will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And so, you know, some people take that others uh, as being the Gentiles, us, you know, that he, the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah. And so then the Messiah became available to everyone else. But really, I don't exactly take it that way because um, even though that that is what happened and he knew that that is what was going to happen, but that also had been a part of the plan from the beginning because there are so many places in the Old Testament, in the Psalms and, and places like that, where it's clearly stated that every tribe uh, every tongue, every nation, you know, will, um, will worship him, will whatever, you know, so it's mentioned a lot of times and I, I probably should have brought out some verses to prove my point there, but, you know, that was in the plan all the way from the beginning. And I think really, you know, this is speculation now, maybe. But if you think about it, God's plan by having the chosen people Israel was that Israel should take the knowledge of God throughout the earth and share it with everyone. They were to be the stewards of this great uh, message, this great um way to know God and they were to share that with everyone else and the disciples got it didn't they and they did that but the nation of Israel as a whole did not so there were but there were those who did and so you know I think that um from the very beginning then before the foundations of the world, as it says in some places, God had this plan in action that the that the uh, knowledge of God and the ability to know God and to be in fellowship with Him was for all nations and not just for the nation of Israel. Okay, so now let's go on. I've, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but let's go on. 
to the rest of verse 16 and then down through 19. So when he said this, he said he will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So when they heard this and what he said, that they, you know, he was speaking to many people, not just to the Pharisees and, and the scribes and Sadducees, but to many people. And he said, you know, he's going to come and destroy these vine growers and give it to another. We don't know who the they are that said, may it never be. You know, was it the Pharisees um, who said, may it never be, you know, in a sarcastic way or did they say it in a way that where they really believed it probably not was it the people who were listening to the story to the parable who said may it never be you know oh no you know don't don't let it be that way and so but anyway this is what they said and then Jesus gives a quote there and that is um let me give you the reference for that psalm 118.22 where he says the stone which the builders rejected then became the chief cornerstone now he's giving an analogy to a house being built or a building being built and how they selected the stones to be placed and the cornerstone was very important because it was like a foundational stone that would be you know strong and hold up what they was what was going to be added to it and so he's quoting then from the old testament from the psalms where it talks about the cornerstone being rejected and then this stone became the chief cornerstone and that's certainly what happened with jesus isn't it that the you know the majority of the nation of israel rejected him and continue up to today to reject him as the messiah but he has become the chief cornerstone he is the chief cornerstone of the kingdom of god that is being built on the earth and um and then he says you know everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces but on whomever it falls it will scatter him like dust so in other words I've heard sermons, you know, preached on this verse, but basically if a person, you know, comes to Jesus, they will be broken to pieces. In other words, it kind of goes back to us talking about you must be humble like a child to be able to come to Jesus and you must not, you must be broken as far as yourself is taken away. The self goes out of it. And you, you know, you come to Jesus in that way. And then he, um, you know, restores you to 
to be his follower. And then, but whoever it falls on will be, will scatter him like dust. In other words, they'll be utterly destroyed. So those who reject Jesus or, you know, ultimately who, who um, rejected the son and all that, you know, he's being clear that these people are not going to make it. You know, they're, they're going to be destroyed. And so the scribes and the chief priests then got so mad about this that they, from that very hour, I mean, they just wanted to grab hold of him, but they were afraid of the people because they knew the people were following him. Otherwise, they would have probably just rushed upon him and taken him right there, you know, but there would have been such a resistance to that. And so, um, you know, this is this kind of ends that that parable, but definitely, you know, we see the comparison to the nation of Israel and how they rejected Jesus and continue to reject him up to today. And it is a it is a lesson for us, you know, as individuals as well. Because it reminds us once again that we cannot be good enough to get into the kingdom without uh, Jesus. And if we reject Jesus and still think, oh, but I'm a good person, you know, I can, I've done all the right things. I've gone to church my whole life. I've studied the Bible. And yet you've never been broken to pieces like it mentions here. You've never humbled yourself to follow Jesus. You've never really come to that point of saying, I'm giving it all to you, Jesus. Everything that I have and everything I am, everything that I'm going to do or be in the future. Um, I'm giving it all to you all at once. Then that then we've not done enough. We've not followed him in the way that, that we should. And so I pray that, you you know, for each of us through this time of Easter and, and all of that, that we will examine ourselves and we will be sure that we've given Jesus our all, that we're not holding back parts of our lives, that we say, okay, I'm going to give Jesus, you know, three-fourths of my life, but then this fourth right here, I'm going to hang on to it because I love it, enjoy it so much. It's my fun, you know, and so I'm hanging on to this, but I'll give him everything else. And, you know, it's just important for us to realize that that's not enough. We have to give him everything. And um, so I, you know, I I pray that as we as we look through this and get ready for next week, uh, that we'll be reminded Jesus knew everything that was coming. He knew what was going to happen, what had happened in the past, and how that had been. I mean, he had the full picture, didn't he? And he knows just what's coming as far as the cross and the resurrection. Thank you for being with me, and we'll talk some more about it next week.